Well, I'm really glad to be able to speak to you today. And I would really encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. That's an odd place to be. Um, you're thinking, where is that? Well, in a Bible that happens to be on a pew rack, you're going to find it on page 448. Um, 448, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And as always, there is a Bible app event for this. So if you're tech savvy, you want to open the Bible app and you can follow along on that. It'll have the, t- sermon, the scripture text and also some notes for you to follow along. So one of my favorite quotes is a quote from a man who was born about 500 years ago. And he said something that is really profound. Before I tell you about it, though, I want to tell you that I can remember when I was younger, if someone said, I want to tell you something that somebody said 500 years ago, I would have, in my youthful arrogance, said, what could someone from 500 years ago possibly say that would be informative or applicable or relevant to me today? But um, think about the stupidity of my thinking when I said that. This guy, this quote that I'm going to share with you, is a quote that just showed up in the New York Times two weeks ago in an article about a Hollywood personality who said it 500 years later. It's a statement that showed up as well in a British publication called the Press and Journal when they were referring to prisoners getting a second chance 500 years later. It's a phrase that showed up in the Houston Chronicle just a couple weeks ago when they were talking about Passover 500 years later. I think we can safely say that this favorite phrase of mine is a phrase that is probably repeated over and over and over again all across the globe every day. And the arrogance of my youth failed to take into account that there's probably nothing that I will ever say that will be repeated 50 years later let alone 500 years later. So give John Bradford some due here when you hear this statement. Whenever John Bradford would see an evildoer condemned to execution, he would remark, there, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. And the way it is frequently phrased today is, there, except for the grace of God, go I. Can you put your own name into it? There, except for the grace of God, goes Steve Shields. It's a great quote. Every time John Bradford used those words, he was saying in a shorter version these three words, I am vulnerable. I am a vulnerable person. Are you? Or do you tend to think of yourself as being pretty invincible and not really needing anyone or anything to keep you kind of safe. We're going to talk about vulnerability today, and the Bible speaks about vulnerability a lot. I want to look at this passage in 2 Chronicles 26. I want to look at a young man whose name is Uzziah and discuss his vulnerability. He had a long and successful reign in the kingdom of God in Judah. Let's read about it. I'm going to begin at verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 26. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Eleth and restored Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Okay, so that's pretty impressive, 16 years old. And what you're going to read about him in these other verses, kind of, it reads like a eulogy, or maybe even, it almost reads like a resume. Look at how successful 
This guy was. Verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just like his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbaal and against the Meonites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall and fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock at the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile land, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their members as he mustered, as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Maasiah, the officer, under the direction of Hanani and one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided spears, shields and spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows and slingshots for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for the use on the towers and on the corner defenses so the soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Wow, I, I feel like Uzziah. He's a man. Uzziah in 2020. Can, can I, yeah, right? Look at this guy. He is in a country that is surrounded by enemies, and he's protecting them very well, and he's providing for them. He's got a chicken in every pot, and he's really, he's got it going there. And he's, he's invulnerable, impervious to attack, He's not vulnerable to anything. But did you notice the tone is beginning to change with those last four words in verse 15 that I read? Listen to them again. Until he became powerful. Listen to them in context. Verse 15, the latter part, his fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had the censer in his hand, ready to burn the incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priests in the presence of the Lord before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they 
saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other event, uh, events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings. For the people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. Uzziah, <laughs> he was vulnerable. And that vulnerability led to his downfall. And when I think of this passage and I think of his vulnerability, I begin to realize there's really two kinds of vulnerability. The Bible warns against the vulnerability we all have to temptation. In fact, in verses like 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I love how the ESV says it. It says, therefore, if anyone thinks that he stands firm, I love these two words, take heed, lest he fall. I like that phrase, to take heed. Scott Sauls, who wrote the the book From Weakness to Strength, tells a story of a church leader who said something like this. He said, you know, when it comes to temptation, Satan has power to tempt me in many, many ways. But there is one area in my life where Satan has no power and he can never touch it, and that's my marriage. You know how the story ended, right? Take heed, lest you fall. And his marriage fell apart. You see, vulnerability to temptation is something that simply comes with being human. After the scripture says, take heed lest you fall, it reminds you there's no temptation that has overtaken you except what's common to humankind. All of us deal with temptation. If you're human, you are vulnerable to temptation. And that vulnerability, unless it is addressed, it can damage us deeply. Do you know Christians who will no longer talk to one another? Do you ever wonder what role did vulnerability to temptation play in that? Do you know people who have turned their back on God altogether? And do you ever wonder what vulnerability to temptation caused that? Do you know lives that have ended poorly, even shamefully? They were moving along so well, and somewhere along the way, something happened. And now, as they come to the end of their lives, it's just not ending the way anyone would have hoped. What role did vulnerability to temptation play in that? All of us are vulnerable to temptation. But there's a second kind of vulnerability you can see in Uzziah's story, and that is a vulnerability to one another. I'm going to call that a relational vulnerability. Verse 5 is really where you begin to see it. It tells me that Uzziah had this kind of relationship with a man named Zechariah. Listen to verse 5 a second time. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So here's this young king, and he's taking instruction. He's taking correction, perhaps even taking discipline from an individual named Zechariah. And taking those kinds of things from someone requires a sense of vulnerability, a willingness to be vulnerable. And it paid off big time for Zechariah. I mean, as damaging as temptation vulnerability can be, it almost seems to me that that's how helpful 
relational vulnerability can be. That it's a blessing, it's a good thing to be vulnerable to the right people in your walk with God. By the way, relational vulnerability is something that is self-imposed. If someone forces vulnerability upon you, that's not healthy, that's probably abusive. So I'm not talking about that, I'm not advocating that. What I'm talking about is where you vulnerably and willingly and of your own initiative choose to be vulnerable to another person. Have you ever seen a couple dogs when they first meet? After the initial smelling is over with, sorry about that, (laughs) frequently one of the dogs will kind of lie down on its back like this. And the other one will stand over it, just kind of looking around, standing over that dog. My buddy who trained dogs with his wife professionally told me that that was the way dogs establish and communicate their hierarchy. And the dog that is laying down on its back is literally showing its juggler, showing its throat to the other dog. And he is saying, I am making myself vulnerable to you. The other dog is enforcing that. The dog on the ground is giving that. I'm not talking about offering your juggler to someone. (laughs) I'm not talking about offering your throat. We're not animals. What I'm talking about is the reality that this kind of vulnerability is something you must choose on your own accord to take on. It's a surrender of sorts that you say, yes, I'm willing willing to do that. It's self-imposed. And it's self-imposed because it's really for your own good. We'll talk about this more later, but let me just say this. When I am vulnerable, that's when I am honest. And when I am honest, that's when I can really address things that need to change in my life. And if I'm not vulnerable, I won't be honest. And if I'm not honest, then nothing's going to change. And I'll never make the transitions that God has in mind for me to make. Because of this, though, vulnerability actually creates strengths. Being vulnerable with someone else makes you strong. I just told this story a month or two ago. It bears repeating. It comes from Jim Bell. (laughs) He told me, I think it was at Brennan's graduation from Grove City, that the speaker there was Frank Reich. And some of you are like, who's Frank Reich? I don't even know him. And you'd be right to say that kind of thing. Because Frank Reich was the backup for Hall of Fame Buffalo Bills quarterback Jim Kelly, who was from Western Pennsylvania with us. That's where he grew up, right? So Frank Reich is his backup. And later, (laughs) later he became the quarterback coach for the Indianapolis Colts, Colts rather, and he had to coach a guy named Peyton Manning. <laughs> now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Frank Reich was a backup all his career. He had one claim to fame, and that is that he led the Buffalo Bills to the biggest comeback in NFL history. That record may still stand. It did a few years ago. I don't know if it still does. The biggest comeback anywhere But as I was Googling about it this week, I happened to notice a lot of people say it wasn't Frank Reich's comeback, it was the Houston Oilers choking. So he doesn't even always get credit for that. So now here's this guy, Frank Reich, who's going to tell Peyton Manning how to be a quarterback. And at this point, Peyton Manning is breaking records like they're eggshells, one after another. Reich said that at that first meeting with Peyton Manning, Peyton said something like this. Look, Frank, you're the coach. If you see me making mistakes, I need you to tell me. 
You need to tell me if I'm holding the ball too long, or you need to tell me if I'm panicking and throwing it too early. And you need to tell me if I'm being lazy, and you need to tell me if I'm getting a little bit of a paunch here, and you need to tell me if I'm missing something that's happening on the field, and you need to tell me if I got the wrong attitude, and you need to tell me when I fail why I'm failing. You're the coach. Do that. And I would guess that is one of many reasons that Peyton Manning was as great as he was. Because he was willing to be vulnerable to another man who didn't have half of Manning's talent. But Manning knew that vulnerability can create strength. It can in football. It can in your life. And in light of this, as we approach communion, I want you to think about embracing relational vulnerability. I want to go back to verse 5 again. This will be the third time you've looked at this verse. In verse 5, it speaks of Uzziah, and it says, He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in a fear of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Nobody knows who Zechariah was. It isn't the prophet who has a book bearing his name in the Bible. It's a different Zechariah, but we don't know who it is. What we do know is that his name is connected with Uzziah's pattern of seeking God. So evidently, Zechariah was a good counselor, a good advisor to Uzziah. And as I realize this, I really begin to see that healthy vulnerability requires an awareness of your need. You have to kind of look at yourself and see your need. You can imagine why Uzziah was aware of his need. He's 16 years old, and he's just been made king of Judah. What were you doing when you were 16 years old? (laughs) Uzziah was leading the nation. And Uzziah knew that he didn't know what it was that he didn't know. (laughs) And so he's like, I'm going to need some help with this. He was profoundly aware of his need. And if you're going to enter into relationship vulnerability, you're going to have to look inside yourself and say, are there needs here that, that I'm unaware of? And am I willing to address them? I have friends who have great potential to serve in the kingdom of God. I... You know how some people, they can tell if there's a wheelberry going on their lawnmower just by the way it, it runs? I'm the kind of guy that can look at someone and say, wow, that person has potential in the kingdom of God. I can, I, I can discern that. I can identify it. So often I've, I've seen, I have friends with great potential to serve in the kingdom, but before that happens, they're going to have to address the reality that they don't know what it is that they don't know. And they're going to have to find out what it is that they don't know. They're going to have to see their own need, realize their shortcomings, so they can address them. And I've tried to help them, and I want to tell you that's awkward. You got a problem, and I feel like I'm the guy that's going to have to tell you about it. Is that all right with you? But, you know, I am pretty good at communication. So I've been able to do that in gentle ways that sometimes they don't even know I'm doing it. (laughs) Sometimes, though, I'll try to help someone who I see great potential in by speaking into their life, and they intentionally turn a deaf ear. Or I'll try to help someone who has great potential by getting them a book. I've even gift-wrapped one. Said, I just really thought of this for you. I think this would be just so beneficial in your life. And they didn't read it. I've even invited them to conferences and seminars that would help them. But they're always busy. And as long as we are oblivious to our own needs like that, then we will be limited in what kind of impact we can have for the glory of God. And our lives will not be filled with a sense of satisfaction, but rather a sense of dissatisfaction 
sometimes even longing. You see, if you're going to embrace healthy vulnerability in your life, you're going to have to be willing to see what it is that needs to change in your life. You're going to have to, maybe as you take communion and the elements are distributed, you're going to have to say to yourself, am I really doing what God has for me to do here in regards to my children or to my parents or my family? Am I really who I think I am? Am I the person that I think I am? Am I living as God would have me to live? Am I speaking as God would have me to speak? You're going to have to look inside yourself. One ought to examine oneself as he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. You're going to have to do that and say, what is my need? Because healthy vulnerability requires an awareness of your own need or needs. Second, as we're talking about embracing relational vulnerability, you have to understand a healthy vulnerability requires some self-imposed humility. It requires that you humble yourself, and you can do that. In fact, the Bible says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and God would not ask you to do something that you're simply incapable of doing. So you can choose to humble yourself. I was with a group of people several years ago at Soul Care, and at Soul Care, you hear the teaching, and then you'll go into a, a little meeting group, a small group of maybe three guys or three girls together, and, and we're there together, and it happened to be some of my peers that I was with, some pastors. And as we sat down, pulled up the table, and we began, pulled up the chairs rather, and we began to talk, one of those gentlemen looked at the other two of us, and he said, I will never talk to you about my issues. Just that honestly. Now, maybe he didn't trust us. Maybe he didn't think it would help. Most likely, he was a little too proud to really admit what was going on in his life, and he didn't have the humility to talk about what he was struggling with. We have this motto at Kerbinsville Alliance. It goes like this. Kerbinsville Alliance, real God, real life, real people. Why is that important? <laughs> because being real is the only way you will experience real growth. And if you're going to be real, you will have to humble yourself and be willing to talk about the stuff in your life that is preventing you. You'll have to embrace relationship relational vulnerability by humbling yourself. By the way, healthy vulnerability requires reasonable proximity. You know, the counselor that Uzziah had wasn't like, Hiram, the king of Tyre, who's clear on the other side of the country, you know? It was someone right in town. It was Zechariah. And, and that vulnerability that was so convenient and so nearby worked for them. Years ago, like decades ago, I realized I needed someone to be accountable to regarding my personal life. I needed another guy to talk to about how my walk with God was coming. And so I called a buddy of mine who lived about 60 miles away and said, how'd you like to be my accountability partner? I'd love to. I need an accountability partner too. Let's go. How do you think that worked? It didn't because he was 60 miles away. There's a proximity thing that is necessary for friendships that are relational and growing. It can't even happen with FaceTime or with any kind of video. It, there needs to be a relational proximity so that you can have that vulnerability. And fourth, healthy vulnerability requires a reliable sense of confidence. Proverbs chapter 27 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
Do you understand what that verse is saying? It's kind of hard to understand at first. But here's what it's saying. It's saying, it is better to have a friend with whom you are vulnerable who can tell you things about yourself that hurt their wounds. It's better to have a friend tell you the truth about yourself than have an enemy who lies to you about how good you are. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And vulnerability requires trustworthiness. I would kind of be neglecting my responsibility if I didn't add this. There are people with whom you must guard yourself. There are people with whom you cannot be vulnerable. Let me tell you four kinds. Number one, I am not vulnerable around someone who loves to tell stories, someone who loves to gossip, you know? Have you heard the story about the three pastors that decided they were going to go ahead and golf together once a week and confess their sins as they went around the 18 holes? And uh, so the first week they get together and the first pastor confesses that he's been drunk on the, on the communion wine. Every, every evening I drink that stuff and, and I just go to bed drunk as a skunk. And the next one says, well, I'm having an adulterous affair. It's with my organist and, you know, this has been going on for three years. That's my sin. And then the third one says, my sin is gossip and I can't wait to get out of here and tell everybody what's going on in your lives. <laughs> Number one, I am not vulnerable with someone who loves to tell stories. They can't be trusted. Number two, I am not vulnerable with people who are legalistic. If this phrase is in their vocabulary, well, I never, then I cannot be vulnerable with them. I need people, you need people, who when they hear about your weakness and your struggle can say, you know, God forgives you for that. And you know you can move through that. How can I pray with you about that? Number three, I am not vulnerable with people who seem to have some sort of personality disorder. You can make what you want of that. Number four, I am not vulnerable with people who are ungodly. I'm not vulnerable with people who don't know Jesus, even if they seem to be godly. You know, they're a good guy. If they don't know Jesus, they don't know grace. And if they don't know grace, they won't show grace in the consistent way it needs to happen. But I don't let those kind of people and those kinds of situations prevent me from being vulnerable. Maybe you were burned by a gossip or a legalist. Maybe you've experienced someone who had a personality disorder that really blew things out of proportion. Or maybe someone who was ungodly and didn't understand grace. And you're like, I'll never be vulnerable again. Maybe that's what happened to my peer at Soul Care who said, I'll never share my stuff with you guys. Maybe. You must not allow those experiences to prevent you from the kind of vulnerability that made Uzziah successful. You must not allow that to shut you down. So, as we approach the Lord's Supper, I want you to transition your view of vulnerability. First, transition from denying you need relational vulnerability to admitting it. This thought came to my mind and I thought, Steve, that's almost clever. Sometimes you can put words together that actually make sense and are memorable. Here it is. Not even the Lone Ranger was a Lone Ranger. (laughs) You understand that? And so you can't have this sense of, well, a lot of people need what Pastor Steve's talking about and what Uzziah, I understand why Uzziah needed that. He was only 16. But me, hey, I'm 58 years old. I don't need that. You're going to have to get rid of that thinking and transition from denying your need to admitting it. 
And along that path, you might have to transition from fearing relational vulnerability to actually facing it. Some people, they fear being vulnerable because of what it might mean, and they fear being vulnerable because they see that as a weakness. It is not. Self-imposed, self-initiated relational vulnerability is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of great strength, of great strength. I grew up on a farm. I grew up carrying a 22 around just for fun. I've been shooting guns since before I should have been shooting guns, right? I don't know if I ever mentioned this or not, but I qualified at the highest level at the Dubois Pistol Club. There's only two level, two-handed and one-handed. <laughs> but I've been shooting guns a long time. And yet, And yet, if I want to become better at that, then I'm going to have to look at some people, and there are men in this church who are much better with guns than I am. Jeff Spade. You should see him shoot skeet. And if I want to shoot better, then i got to be vulnerable and say, you know, Jeff, I don't know how you're doing that. I'm missing a lot. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) We have guys from the Marines to the Pennsylvania State Police who are much better shooters than I am. And I have to be vulnerable and say, what am I doing that makes me always shoot low and to the left? How come I'm always shooting low and to the left? If I am not willing to admit that, that need, I'll never get any better. At least not from them, I won't. Fearing relationship vulnerability keeps you from growing the way God has for you to grow. So face it and be willing to be vulnerable. In fact, don't just wait for it. Transition from waiting for relationship to actually seeking it out, trying to find it. Determine in your heart that you are going to find Christian friendship where you can be vulnerable. I have a friend who has been going through some very difficult circumstances. He doesn't live near me. He lives further away. Sadly, I only know about the difficulties he's going through because his wife sends me Facebook messages about them. She'll say something like this. Hey, would you pray for for Willis? He's going through this really hard time. And, And maybe could you give him a call? And so I do that. Before I tell you about his response to that, let me tell you some of the troubles that he's going through. His oldest child is sick with a life threatening illness. The company he works for is failing. Someone at that company has for months, maybe years, been lying about him to his boss. And his boss and human resources has called him in several times to talk about those problems and to talk about the relationship problems and to talk about his attitude. And in all this, his own health has been adversely affected. So his wife says, would you give him a call? So I do, I pray, I say, help me talk to Willis, God. Help, help me kind of help him. Hey, Willis, so I just happened to be talking to your wife and, and she said you're going through some hard times. What's going on? I don't know what she's talking about. Things are going great. Are you doing all right? How's your health? Oh, it's great. I lost 10 pounds. Good, well, that's good. Family's doing okay? Yeah, yeah, we're doing good. Money's good. Man, things at work are going great. And he lies, 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 lies. And when he does that, he avoids relationship vulnerability and the good that can come through it. Thursday night, I'm sitting at men's group 
<laughs> and everybody sitting at men's group just sat up and said, what are you going to tell them? <laughs> Nothing. Everything. <laughs> you can trust me, guys. You know you can trust me. Because what's said at men's group stays at men's group because we're vulnerable to one another. We're reading a passage from Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 5, the Apostle Paul lists a set of sins, and then in verse 8, he lists some other sins there. So we get to the end of the evening, and I said, you know what, I kind of like to hear which one of these sins do you have more trouble with? You know? That's a bold question, isn't it? Isn't that a bold question? Yeah. Doris Haynes, would you please stand and tell us all the sins you're having trouble with? <laughs> yeah. Tell us in a sentence. Which one of these is problematic to you? We went around the circle once. A couple guys said, I need more time to think about it. Went around it again, and they had something. The one guy said, I love this honesty. Everything. I love that honesty. And I can tell you that those men who are choosing to be vulnerable with other trusted Christian friends will grow at a rate, spiritually speaking, they would not grow at were they not doing that? Do you understand that? One of their wives just said amen. <laughs> yeah. One guy said to me one time, he said, you know, I, I feel guilty going to my, my men's small group because I'm, my, I'm leaving my wife with the kids, but she kicks me out. And I said, that's because you're obnoxious. <laughs> it's not. It's because she sees that that kind of vulnerability can bring a transformation. So that like Uzziah, when he was a young man, you can be successful. Never lose track of that vulnerability. Transition in your view of avoiding being vulnerable like the plague <laughs> to choosing to be as wise as a serpent in who you choose to be vulnerable with and as innocent as a dove while you're doing it. 